You are listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Good morning, everybody. Um, uh, if you, some people may be a little confused this morning. You came in, there's a lot of ladies in the foyer in their, in their Baptist green today. And so we've had an incredible weekend uh, some of you might know Wilma Binder. She is a retired missionary that's a part of our church body. And uh, she had a birthday recently. And uh, in her time that she served in Cameroon, uh, she served at Saker uh, Baptist College, which is uh, one of the most prestigious uh, girls' schools in the country of Cameroon. And if you graduate from Saker, uh, you go on to do incredible things, the way that you're, you're trained there. And so there are women that have graduated from Saker, thousands of them that are around the world now uh, that serve in everywhere from the UN to the governments all over uh, the world um, and in leadership positions uh, everywhere. Uh, just incredible women. And so they had a huge celebration of her life uh, yesterday and, and then uh, last night. And in my conversations with them, as they came from all over the country to celebrate uh, Wilma, uh, they, they said, uh, we're looking forward to coming to your service tomorrow, Pastor, to seeing you in all of your regalia. And I went home and I Googled regalia. And, and this was the best that I have. This is as, this is as regal as, as it gets, right? Um, and so uh, anyhow, just some of you came in today, they were taking pictures, like, so where are they? Uh, you should have got up earlier because they were in first service and they sang like angels and they tore the place up. Uh, and so, um, yeah, ne- I told them next time they have to be here in the second service. Uh, Matthew chapter 14 is where we're at uh, today. We're starting that chapter. This really is kind of the, the beginning of moving toward Jesus, somewhat, uh, somewhat moving out of public ministry, spending more time with his disciples speaking into their lives. Uh, today's text has really, has no, there's no teaching that takes place in the text as we've been looking at Jesus teaching the parables, but it's a situation that shines a light on three different individuals that, um, that I've just chosen today to, to just say, how does this apply to being an authentic leader? Now, some of you might go, well, I'm not a leader, so I'm checking out. Um, there's a story of a young woman who uh, was applying to go to her favorite university. Only one school that she wanted to go to, and so she sat down and she was filling out the application, and, and uh, she got to one question that said, do you consider yourself to be a leader? And she all of a sudden just kind of broke down. Tears rolling down her face. In integrity and character, she wrote no. Put in the envelope, sealed it, sent it off to the school, and didn't know what she was going to do with her life, and she got a letter back from the school a number of weeks later. Uh, she opened it up, and, and it said, uh, an overall study of our application forms received this year reveals that our school is going to have 1,452 new leaders in the fall. We're accepting you because we feel it's necessary for them to have at least one follower. You can't be a leader unless you're a follower first, that, that you follow after someone, uh, that you respect, that you model your life after, that you allow to speak into your life uh, so that you then in turn can, can be a leader to others because that's, 
what we're called to do. And I'll just say this today. You might not think yourself as a leader if you only think as far as your career uh, or uh, maybe as a student if you're in on sports. If, you're not, if I'm not the team captain, I'm not a leader. But listen, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have a commissioning on your life to go and make disciples, meaning that it is your call to lead others to Christ and to show them how to live. If you love Jesus, then you're a leader. So today's message, today's text applies to all of us. And we're going to take a look at just a few qualities of, of great leaders and, and not so great. Uh, so let's go to, to the beginning of Matthew chapter 14. Uh, let me read this for you. If you would, let's stand together. <clears throat> here's, here's what Matthew writes. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work within him. For Herod had seized John, bound him, put him in prison for the sake of Herodias' brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, Herod feared the people because they held John to be a prophet. When Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her anything that she would ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was sorry, because, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given and he sent and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. John's disciples came, took the body, and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Let's pray. Fathers, we've already asked that, that you would do a mighty work today in our own hearts through this text. I just want to ask God that you would that you would know that we welcome you here. We know you're here. We know your presence is here, but we, we just want to say you are welcome. Welcome to do whatever it is that you desire to do through the words that I speak, uh, Father, through the words that we hear and through the move of your spirit to draw us closer to you, to be the people you've called us to be. In your name, amen. <clears throat> you can have a seat. So let's take a look at John. John the Baptist, we're going to look at John. We're going to look at King Herod. And we're going to look at Jesus. John the Baptist had a heart for truth. He was a man on mission. He had a, a purpose and why he was on that, this earth. Uh, there had been no prophet that had spoken to God's people in over 400 years. There's just been nothing but silence. The last prophet that we read about in the Old Testament was Malachi. And actually the book of Malachi ends with a prophecy. Malachi said, uh, look for and wait for Elijah, who is going to return, and when he does, he's going to be ushering in the day of the Lord. And so John the Baptist is really kind of considered to be the figurative return of Elijah. Elijah, if you know about the Old Testament, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of all time, but he never died. God took him up to heaven uh, before he passed away. And so there was this, always this, this great prophet. He never died, so he's got to be coming back someday. And Malachi says, look for him. 
wait for him, long for him. When he does, the words that he's going to speak are going to be powerful. And so John the Baptist, 400 years later, was sent into the world as a forerunner of Jesus. His job, his role, and his purpose was to, to preach a message of repentance. Repent, which means turn from your sin, turn from one way, and actively pursue the opposite direction. Right? So repentance is not just, I'm sorry, as I would always tell my kids growing up, and they'd get after each other, brother and sister, and, and then they would say, oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, no, no, no. I'm sorry really means I'm never going to do this again, that I, it actually moves in me. That's what repentance, John said, you got to repent. You have to turn from your ways of sin and get ready because the Messiah is coming. The kingdom of heaven is coming soon and you want to be ready for him when he comes. I talk about this all the time when I sit with couples, young couples that are getting ready to get married, that the, the marriage ceremony that they're preparing for is, is not just for their family and friends. That yes, it's a beautiful thing, and there's a lot that goes into getting ready for it, but the reason that we celebrate, the reason we do it in a church, the reason why marriage is holy is because it is a direct preparation and a reflection of what is going to happen someday when the trumpets sound and the bridegroom returns for his bride. As he comes and he seeks his bride, and we get to be united with him found this this thing that we're, we've been longing for for all of eternity and so uh, just like a bride gets ready for her wedding and and dumps a lot into it and there's a lot of focus and a lot of stress and everybody gets invited there's a, it's a big celebration because it's just a small little taste of what we long for the, the return of the bridegroom for for us the, the church and john is calling people to to get ready. The Savior is coming, the Lamb of God, and be ready for Him. At the core of John's mission was to get people focused on Jesus. Now, we don't know what kind of relationship that John and Herod had specifically. Some people say that John was preaching a message among the crowds that Herod was living a life of sin. Um, but uh, I, I just really, in, when you get into deep study, what, we're, what we find in the other Gospels is that Herod actually loved, it says that lo he loved John. He loved to hear him speak. Now a king is not going to go out into the crowd and listen to uh, somebody preach. There probably were many times invitations. Or, or maybe he was within an earshot and the king may be listening from the palace or wherever he was. But Herod loved to listen to John speak. And he had a, says, uh, Mark says he had a lot of questions that he wanted to ask him. In other words, he was intrigued about the truth that John was preaching. Now, just for clarification, so we, again, I, I just I love it that we can, we can all try to understand our Scripture a little bit better. Uh, this Herod is the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one that went after Jesus when he was born and, and had, uh, a, a wanted to, to see him killed. Uh, this is his son. And a tetrarch uh, was not necessarily a king, but they had an authoritative title. What happened was Herod the Great was ruthless, lived in fear constantly, actually had some of his own sons killed just out of a threat that they were, they were maybe going to rise up and, and overthrow him. 
He had uh, brothers that, were, that, that he had killed. He was, he was awful, and we saw that in him wanting to, to kill all of the firstborn in Israel to see to it that, that the Messiah, the new sent king, wouldn't come and take over his throne. But his son, now uh, Herod, uh, is, is now in charge. The land had actually been split up, so it's no longer uh, Herod Antipas is his name. It, it's no longer one uh, king overseeing a region. Uh, his, the region was split up. His, his father did that on his deathbed. And so he was given kind of this Galilee region. And so he knew about John, and he heard him preach, and he was intrigued about it. And he respected him. Uh, we're also told, I think it's in Luke, where it says that he knew he was a holy man, and so he revered him. He feared him. He respected the message that was being taught. But at some point, they came face to face, and I'm sure that Herod was caught a little bit off guard when he finally got a chance to kind of meet this traveling evangelist. I'm, I'm kind of interested in what, you, what you're doing, man, and what you have to say, and you're super weird because you're wearing camel hair, and I, I hear you eat bugs. And so you got these opposite ends of the spectrum, right? This guy who lives out in the desert, and he's preaching, and then you have this king, and they come together, and John looks at Herod, and he says, here's the deal. Uh, you're living in sin, and God wants you to repent. Because what had happened is that uh, Herod's wife, first of all, she married her uncle, and then uh, and and Herod was married to another woman, and then but the two of them fell in love, and so they left their spouses so that that they could have a relationship. And and John looks at at Herod and says, "Hey, uh, I mean, I, we can even see it in here. We see how God views this. He says it's, it's not lawful for you to have this woman because it's your brother Philip's wife." And so it's just this messy, if we dig into, there's so much family stuff that's connected. But what, what really that John is saying is that, look, man, uh, what you've done is wrong. And you're a leader and people look up to you and they have expectations of you. And you got to get your life right with God. You're living in sin. Why? Why did John do that? Because that's his mission. That's why he was on this earth. Repent. Turn from your sinful ways and, and follow after God. It was an opportunity for Herod to change his ways. But instead, Herod got upset. Um, he, I assume, goes home, maybe. There's his wife. Hey, I heard that, I heard that, that evangelist guy that everybody's talking about came and talked to you today. What did he say? He said, I got to leave you. What? You know, like, uh, how about we just kill him instead? Right? That, that would just be a lot easier for us. John never strayed from his mission, and no matter where he went, no matter how much power someone had, John stayed true. Flee from your life of sin. That's what, that's what good leaders do. They, they speak truth even when it might not be received well. I don't think John hated Herod at all. We share the gospel with people because we love people. The greatest thing that we can do for people is to let them know about their lostness and how they need salvation and need to find it. 
But it begins with repentance. It begins with a turning away from the world and to Christ. John wasn't, he wasn't disrespecting authority. He was actually holding him up. I care too much about you to let you to continue to live this way. It was not just about Herod's sin, but also it's a great message to, to all of us. No matter your position, no matter, no matter how much power you think you might have, the Word of God applies to everybody. Whether you believe it or not, the Word of God is the ultimate authority over all of mankind, over all of the world, for all time. You can't say, well, that's good for you, but it doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, it better, because it's the highest authority that, it, that there is, given by God, and it applies to everybody. The same message of salvation that was preached to the unknown in the land, John was preaching it to the king. Everybody, everywhere needs to repent and needs the truth of the gospel. Isaiah 66, 2, I, I love this verse. Um, it's God speaking to his people through Isaiah. It says, God is saying, this is the one on whom I will look. In other words, this is the one that I want to use in mighty ways. These are the people that I will, that I will bless if you live this way. He who is humble, he who is contrite in spirit, meaning repentant of their sin, acknowledging it uh, and turning, and then he who trembles at my word. That, that should be what we wake up and strive to live for every day. God, give me the power uh, to, to make myself less, to be humble, uh, that I would be quick to acknowledge my sin before you and that I would dwell in your word and that it would shake me to the core. One uh, of my own sinfulness that I've been rescued from but also even just this understanding that the God of the universe that created all things decided to create me and give me a life and love me so much that he would send his son that it, just, it should just shake us. This is, God says, that's who, who I, I look toward. The one, that, the one that gets me. The one that follows me and the one that loves me. John didn't fear man no matter how much power he had. He just needed to speak truth. In a discipling relationship, this is, this is uh, ultimate. As we begin a relationship with someone, as it turns from just friendship to, okay, uh, I love this person, I want to see him come to Christ, so I've, I've got to speak some truth into your life. I want to tell you about Jesus, and I want to tell you about what's, what keeps you from him. John was a great encouragement to others that, that if he can shine a light on the sin of a king with boldness, then why is it so hard for us to go and, and talk to our own family about Jesus? Right? Why, why is it so difficult that we, that we have a, a hard time talking to Jesus with our neighbors who we've lived next to for 30, 40 years? If we can, if we can show them who Christ is, and how they can have a joy-filled life. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that, that when we do approach one another, when we do point out sin in another person's life, because we're called to, we're the body of Christ. So we should be ready to receive it and be grateful for it. But it says that when, when you do, you need to speak truth in love. One, 
Speak truth because you love a person. And when you, when you, when you speak truth to somebody, when you see an error in their ways, if you love them, you're going to speak a lot differently than if you don't love them, right? One's going to come from a place of, of anger and like, ah, you know, filth. And I mean, we, we just, our attitude changes when we speak in love. And the word love that Paul uses there is agape, meaning self-sacrificing. It's not just self-sacrificing, it's actually for the benefit of the other person. That's what it means. Look, I'm, I'm coming to, to share this with you about the need to, to turn your life around because because I care about your life. And I want to see you flourish. I want, I want to see you love God. Know that God loves you. and gave His Son for you. Where we often go astray is that sometimes we get really passionate and some of our favorite things is talking about the sins of people to other people. It's called gossip. We're we don't hold back on that. Right? We're pretty bold uh, with that. Sometimes we, we want to talk about the sins of other people to make us look good. We want to call people out for their sin so that we can make sure we hold them down uh, to make us ourselves look better. Sometimes we speak the truth out of anger. Or sometimes we speak the truth on an unhealthy joy. Right? You know what I'm talking about. This gives me great pleasure to say this to you. Finally just been waiting to catch you in something but ephesians 4 continues says speak the truth in love why so that we all can become the mature body of him who is the head christ this is for the sake of of christ's community we want to build it up the more the merrier right the the, the larger we are the greater the impact the more souls that are saved. Because what we want to do is we want hell to be empty and we want heaven to be packed. And, and, and we care about each and every person in this world. That we help them know who Christ is. And yeah, that, that we let them know what sin is. And that if they don't know Jesus, they're lost in it. If we're going to lead people to Christ in love, we've got to speak truth into their lives. John the Baptist, Herod, man, uh, what you're doing, your wife that you, that you have, you took her from somebody and you left your wife for her. And it's wrong. Herod's response, we find, is not so great. Why? Because he's not a good leader. We're not taking any qualities from Herod today and going, you know, apply this one to your life. These are what you don't want to do. Because Herod had a heart for the crowd. He cared what other people the thought of him. What's interesting about Herod, we're told in, in Mark's gospel that, that Herod loved to hear John preach. Even though he had questions about John's teaching, he, he loved to listen to him. And it also says that Herod feared John because he was a righteous man. Like, wow, not only did he preach, but he preached with, some, with thunder, right? There's power behind it. Well, you, your God must be real the way that you preach and the way that you live. And, and even though Herod's wife didn't like him, we're told that, that Herod did what he could to keep John safe. Can you imagine that? The king, most powerful man in the nation, can do whatever he wants, right? Anything that he wants to do. And yet he's got to run. And, 
we got to, you don't want to run into my wife, man. <laughs> you think I'm powerful. Woo! Wait, wait till you meet, wait till you meet her. We got to keep you hidden. Because she knows that, she knows that what, what you've been saying. And we both need to, to fear her. But rather than continuing to explore the truth of John's preaching, he loved it. He was intrigued by it. I want to know more. And like, but, but my wife, man. And so he has him thrown in prison. Maybe, maybe to keep him safe. Maybe so that he could go down and at night listen to him. Hey, tell me again. Tell me again about, about your message. Um, but there sat John for calling out the king. It would have been difficult for Herod to obey John, to, to, to repent, uh, to send his wife back to her husband, for him to take his wife back. John was calling out a blatant disregard for God's law, but, but poor leaders, we know this, poor leaders believe that they're above everybody else. Those are great rules for you, but I'm the king. I make my own rules. I enforce the rules. If John's, if John's preaching would continue, if the, if the nation of Israel would continue to hear John the prophet say, you know, the way that your king is living is wrong, that the Jewish leaders would, would rise up, the spiritual leaders, and maybe they would go to Rome and go, man, we can't have an example like this. And they would take Herod's power away from him. So Herod is like, he's got to protect himself. And he's got he's to cover his, his own backside. And, and so he just decides that the easy thing is to just lock John away forever. He didn't want to lose his position. I'm sure his wife didn't want to lose being the queen. And John's making her look bad, and she detested him. So in all of this, the, the pressure of losing power, the pressure of the crowd, the pressure from his spouse uh, allowed uh, him to, to be taken away from the truth that was being preached. And he refused to listen to it, and it was cut off. So Herod probably goes home, and maybe his wife says, hey, you, you met with that guy today, right? The crazy guy that lives out in the desert that you've been talking about? What did he say? Uh, nothing. <laughs> no, no, but really, what did he say? Well, he said, he said you should go back to your first husband, and I should go back uh, to my wife, and what we're doing is, is wrong in the eyes of God. And she, not a follower of God, uh, obviously, begins to, to fume. And, and I'm sure uh, says, well, here's the solution. Just go kill him. You're the king. Go do it. Get rid of this guy. But John, John's liked by Herod. Herod's like, but there's something about him. So maybe he just, maybe he told her. I don't know, who knows? But he just puts him away in prison and try to get rid of him. John, uh, Herod's conviction of sin never got to take place because he, he was, he cared too much about, about, what his wife thought, what his wife wanted. And again, we continue to see how weak he was. She wanted him dead, uh, but it says that because Herod feared the people of the nation, he didn't kill him. 
Well, you know, here he is. He's being pulled back and forth. Well, I want to please you and you want him dead, but I really don't want to make the crowd upset. I want to please the crowd. And, and they've got power too. If I was to kill him, they think he's a prophet. And I don't know. I don't know what to do. He cares. Rather than step up, be a leader, make a decision, listen to what God has said. Instead, he's, he's just in turmoil. I don't know what to do. You, you, want, him, you want him dead. They want him alive. I, I give up. Herod didn't have a healthy fear of God for his sin. He was driven by an unhealthy fear of the voices of others. What are they going to say about me? What are they going to think about me? Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8, 36, he says, So what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? So often we, it's applied to, to finances, but man, this world has a whole lot more to offer than finances. And in the world that we're living in today, one of the, the greatest uh, ways to gain power is through fame. Getting people to applaud you, to like your stuff, to, to retweet you, whatever it is. But what does it profit if, it, if it's going to cost you your soul? If you're not going to live into the convictions and the, and the life that God has called you to. The less we care about truth, the less faith we're going to have. And the less faith we have, the more fear controls us. And we're driven by it. So we see Herod is driven by it. The fear of everybody. I'm sure he learned it from his father, Herod the Great, who was known. It was his undoing. He was afraid of everything. He was always afraid. He's paranoid. Somebody's going to come up and, and steal my throne. He had his own children killed and his brothers killed and maybe a little inherited herod here antipas has allowed that fear to sink in deeper into his weakness his weakness was what people thought of him pride and power which we know when that gets out of control places us above god where we start to actually believe it Oswald Chambers says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear Him, you fear nothing else. But if you don't fear Him, you will fear everything else. How many of us are living in fear every day? And Scripture is very clear. Oswald Chambers just makes it even clearer to us that, that if we could have a healthy fear of a holy God and how desperately we need Him, and the fact that a fear of God is knowing that that he has the power and the right to crush us at any given moment. But he chooses not to, to show his grace and his mercy to us. It should just leave us in awe at, at every moment of, I want to live a life that, that shouldn't cause me to be cast away. I want to follow after you. Herod finds himself at his birthday party which obviously he's the king so a lot of people are going to be there so his stepdaughter's like i don't know what do you give a king so she's like how about a dance i don't know maybe he appreciated it obviously he did but it says that so she danced in front of him and it pleased him and and i believe that it that it pleased him probably like i don't know maybe it's a good dance i'm not sure if i did it wouldn't be right I'd, he'd behead me um but but I think what it is, is because it says that there's a, there's a large crowd there that was happy about it. 
And I think Herod, it, it boosted his ego, right? Boy, the, boy, the crowd really loved you, me because of your dance, right? What you did for me really elevated me. And he's so excited about it. He just said, so I'll give you anything in this land. You name it. I promise you, I will go get it for you. You can have any gift that you want. And along comes her miserable mother and, and makes it all about her. Tell him you want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Horrible. And, and here we go again. Instantly, Herod regrets it. It says he regrets making the oath. He was caught up in what everybody was thinking about. I'll give you anything. You name it. Because why? Because if you, the, bigger, the bigger that it is and the shinier, it was going to show that when I bring it through that door, whatever it is, the crowd is going to ooh and awe over this. So you name it. Well, I want that prisoner down below, I want his head on a platter brought up to the party. Which I hear ruins parties, by the way, if that ever shows up. Um, but he knew the right thing to do. He regretted it. He knew what the right thing was, and again, he didn't do it. Selfish. He let others influence him. He could have said no. He's the king. He's the one that's above the rules, right? He can override an oath, but because his heart was focused more on the crowd than God, he, he chose to avoid the angry mob. He chose to avoid an angry wife. And his sin grew from, from not just being an adulterer, but now he's a murderer. The historian Josephus, so doesn't tell this in Scripture, but there's a trusted source, Josephus that lived at the time, and he writes about what happened after this, right? Because there's always, uh, there's always repercussions for our sin. So what happens is that Herodias' first husband uh, comes after Herod and chases him out of his position as king. And Herodias and Herod have to flee for their lives, Right, So now they become homeless like John, and they take off north. And the further they are, they get north. Josephus says it's up in what is, would now be considered the France nowadays. So very cold. And they get up there, and they get to a frozen lake, and they're, they're still being pursued, and they need to escape. And as they're going across the ice, the ice cracks, and it opens up, and, and Herod's wife falls in. And get this, this is what Josephus says. says that the ice cracked, and it was so sharp that when she fell in, uh, she broke through, and, and when it came up to her neck, it came and it took off her head. Justice, right? For, for what it is that she had done. Had they, had they listened to the prophet, had they repented of their ways, they, they could have not just been saved from that misery, maybe probably wouldn't have been able to keep their throne, who knows, but it wouldn't have mattered they would have a life of eternity with God for being obedient to Him. Galatians 1.10 says, if we strive to please man by winning their approval, this is huge. You cannot be called a servant of Christ. It doesn't just say, it's not a good thing to, to be driven by the applause of men. It says, if you, if you live for the applause of men, if that's what you live for, you cannot call yourself a Christian. Wow, that's heavy. 
because we're followers of Jesus Christ alone, as we talked about last week, for His glory and His glory alone. Finally, uh, this was just really short because it's, we're going to pick up on it next week. And, and as if you read just the way that uh, probably your Bibles broke down like mine, we get to Jesus hearing about this. And it says that, that he went away to a desolate place. If you read the other Gospels, what it says is that, is that uh, the disciples were coming back from a time of ministry, the first time that Jesus had sent them out. And they came back, like, you're never going to believe what it is that, that we did in your name, the miracles and the preaching. And Jesus says, let's get away to a desolate place because I want to hear all about it. And you've got to be tired. You must need rest. An authentic leader provides care for those that are under his care. So he says, let's just get away and rest. Let's get away and eat. Let's spend some time together. Because an authentic leader stays on purpose and has a genuine heart. They're sensitive to the needs of others. Willing to help them get what they need. And for Jesus, that's his goal. Getting people what they need. Providing care for their hearts. and Showing them how they can live a true and abundant life. Jesus could have run away and out of out of terror, because remember this opened. The, it begins the, the, with with um, Herod wondering about Jesus, and, and he says, "What if it's John the Baptist resurrected?" So, a guy who's a little bit bloodthirsty, his wife is bloodthirsty. If this is John the Baptist resurrected, man, we got to we got to get him again. So go get him, and let's let's kill him. But Jesus didn't withdraw from, uh, from life in Galilee. He didn't withdraw from his ministry, just like John. He stayed focused on the mission, continued to preach the truth. Maybe he got away because John was his cousin, lost a, a family member, a loved one, in such a terrible way. Maybe Jesus also knew that, that if, if John was now killed, that he knew, Jesus knew why he was on this earth, that, that he would be next. There's probably a lot going on in his mind. And the disciples come back and they're like, hey, we got great news. How do you feel when, when you're just having a, just a brutal day and all you want is somebody to come and go, hey, what's up, man? Uh, can we pray for you? We love you. And they come in like, oh, you're never going to leave. My day was amazing. Like, oh, good for you. Right? I mean, right? But, but Jesus says, let's get away. Let's get away from the crowd because I want to hear all about it. I want to hear everything uh, that the Holy Spirit did as you went out on your own and, and you ministered to people. And, and then it says, we'll get to this next week, it says then that, that so Jesus gets them away, and, but the crowd heard that he was, that he was uh, away with them and they found him and it says that Jesus stopped and he showed compassion to the crowd. You'd think we could give him a pass on this. Right? Of what he just, the news that he just got, how hard it must have been. And two, he's trying to work with his disciples, right? We're trying to, I'm trying to run a class here. And he just stops and he says, you know what? And he sets an incredible example. Because remember, he says, look, guys, we need to get away and rest. And then he sees a crowd and he goes, but right now, just for now, they're important, they matter. 
And it says that Jesus stopped and he had compassion on them because that was his goal. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that I urge all of your supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, that they be made for all people. In other words, when you pray, whoever it is that comes to mind, just continue to pray for them. When you, when you turn on the news and you, and you hear about whatever's going on around the world, are you praying for them? So uh, Paul says to Timothy, pray and intercede and give thanksgiving for all people, for all kings, for anybody who's in a high position. In other words, anybody in leadership. That that they would lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. In other words, we're called to pray for the salvation of the leaders that we come into contact with, whether it's face-to-face or it's on the television or we read about in the newspaper. We as believers who know what God can do because He's done it in our lives, should spend a whole lot less time talking to others about how terrible leaders are. And we should spend all of our time on our knees praying that God would rescue them, redeem them. And we do it because we care, we love. Pray for all kings, those who are in high positions, that they lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, Paul says, and this is what pleases God our Savior who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God has called you to lead others to Him. To be like John and say, I just want to help you figure out how how you can turn this life around. He's called you away from having to live like Herod who lives out of the fear or, or is driven by the applause of the crowd that we care about what God wants and only what God wants. And then in our discipling relationships with others that we would lead like Jesus to say, I, I care about you. I want to help you just find some rest in this world that we live in. Uh, I, I want to I hear I want to be quiet. I want to hear your stories about the great thing that, things that God is doing in, in your life. And then together, I, I want us to go out and to just show compassion to people that don't know Jesus, to love the world. That's what we're called to do. Authentic leaders. We lead like Jesus, each and every one of us, because we are disciple makers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, and God, we ask that you'd forgive us when we forget those things and we live apart from them, when we live for us. It's a tragic story that we read today, Father, but John served his purpose and he served it with boldness and he served it well to usher in your son who came to this earth to rescue us and to redeem us. May we acknowledge who He is. May it cause us to desire so deeply to turn from this world and to cling to You, Father, because You are our goal in life. So do a great and a mighty work in us. Help us to grow as followers of You and to grow followers of You. In Your name, amen.